Hi Anthems listeners, we've decided to do something a little different this time around. In honour of Transgender Awareness Week, we're bringing you five episodes that capture intimate, one-on-one discussions between pairs of trailblazers, creatives and activists. Amidst all the noise, it's time to platform the voices and discussions that you should be paying attention to. This conversation was also filmed, so check the episode description if you'd like to watch along. Anthems has always been a space for exceptional voices to celebrate and contemplate what it means to be human, and the conversation you're about to hear is no different. Welcome to Anthems Talks. This is Anthems. I needed to find my feet, but how could I do that if I didn't know what my feet look like? The same way that you show up for other people, you need to give yourself that care, that compassion, and like sign a contract with yourself that I'm going to show up for myself in the same way I would anyone else. Let's talk about our well-being, let's talk about masculinity, let's talk about what does blackness mean, what does brown mean. They don't want to talk about that. They just wanted to play games and hang out. I'm Xander Sama. My pronouns are he, they. I'm a DJ, a web developer, and co-founder of Gal Pals, which is a club night centering women, trans, and non-binary people, where we play music by women, trans, and non-binary people all night. I also founded a night called Transom, where the proceeds from the door go to gender-affirming surgeries. I'm Sabah Chowdhury. My pronouns are he or they, and I am a trans youth worker. I'm a freelance speaker and writer, and I also foster cats. Your word of the day is belonging. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Hey. Hey, How you doing? How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. So... When did we meet? Ah, it was a foggy day in Brighton. <laughs> to really cast our mind back. Yeah. Um, I, so I moved to Brighton from West London in 2008 to start uni. And you started uni at the same time, right? I started in 2010, so I moved ah. then. But I feel like I just always knew of you. <laughs> <laughs> just in, in queer circles, generally. Yeah, I think it was... Yeah, the LGBTQ uni societies, yep. those weekly club nights at Revenge. Yep. Yeah, that was probably most of my uni time. I feel like we had a very similar time yeah. <laughs> in Revenge yeah. at uni. And then also, actually, we were part of um, starting the Cutie Pock Brighton group. Yes. So that was like the first time something like that, like that was happening yeah. for like queer people of colour in Brighton. So that was really cool. Oh my God, I remember that time. I yeah. was... So we must have met when we were baby trans? I think, I would say I've been like genderqueer since like I wrote genderqueer in my diary when I was like 15 and I, I drew the trans symbol. It's so, it's just a throwaway thing. It just says, think I'm trans. Oh. Then there's like nothing else in the whole diary. And I was like, can we go back to that? Because I think you should have spent a bit more time thinking about it. Oh but my gosh, um, no yeah, way. I think at the time it wasn't something I'd spent a lot of time mm. thinking about. I was thinking about finding my feet as a as a, an adult in yeah. Brighton being alone. I think that for me, that's why I wanted Cutie Pock Brighton to exist and why I willed it into existence because I needed to find my feet. But how 
could I do that if I didn't know what my feet look like? I don't know if that sounds really weird. No, a hundred percent. Like you need something, you need to be able to see something in order to know how to find your own existence, I yeah. guess, or your own way to, to live that. And even you saying that like you had to will it into, into being, I feel like that really links to this question of like, how do we build community? Yeah. Because whenever someone asks me that question, I just think, whenever I've wanted something to exist, I've just had to usually do it or like help to coordinate or just make it happen somehow. And that's something I learned from student activism. Mm. That's something I learned from being in those spaces that it might seem like impossible, but it's actually a lot easier than you think. And people usually also really want the space. So we'll help you (laughs) to create it as well. That's amazing. That must take so much strength to get to those places and like trust in other people? I think it was just mostly just trial and error. And just like, I mean, my approach to it now is very much like taking the pressure off. I think things felt more high stakes and just very like all or nothing when you're young and finding your feet with with community organizing. But um, now I'm more from the perspective of it's better that this thing exists than it doesn't at all. So what is the lowest impact way for me to create this So I'm kind of speaking kind of abstractly, but I'm thinking specifically about a group that I started in Brighton in the last couple of years. It's a social group called Trans Mask Hangs. (laughs) (laughs) And essentially, I felt like I did most of my medical transition at home by myself, Mm. online, during the lockdowns, during the pandemic. And coming out of that and coming out of the lockdowns, I felt very much like I just wanted to meet people in person, come away from the screens and also meet outside of a support space. So people didn't feel like they had to talk about heavy things Mm. or, you know, we could just meet on the same level and just hang out, go for a drink, go for food. um, Yeah, just regularly. That aren't about our gender identity or our medical or social transition. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a hundred percent it. God. So I've been doing trans youth work for like nine years now. And I remember when I started to just kind of see this evolution of the trans youth groups, in particular, the groups for youth of color. Mm. And we would like plan these intense sessions about like, let's talk about our well-being. Let's talk about masculinity. Let's talk about femininity and all these, what does blackness mean? What is brown? (laughs) And then it was just like drawing blood from a stone. It was just like, they don't want to talk about that. They just wanted to play games and hang out. Yes. And it was even more present when we, when the pandemics happened and we moved all our groups online and like that space for for joy and for fun and just for that connection was just so much more heightened that we were like, yeah, let's just, let's just play games. That is it. That's what, that that is what trans support work looks like. Let's do that. hundred percent. I feel you like, I think having spaces to be and that's it. That is like the goal because when we had our first uh, meet, I'd never been in a space with that many trans masculine really? people. And I was like, yo, I didn't realize like really what I'd done. I didn't expect <laughs> that many people to turn up. So we How had many nearly people? 20 people the first time. Oh wow! I was like, who are you? <laughs> like most of the people. And like, even to this day, I've been able to take like less of an active role because it's not something that's like hierarchical. It's something that's quite organic. So people just jump in and they're like, we're going to do a hang here. Uh, there's a regular hang being arranged. But whenever I drop in, I see new faces all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just really cool to be the majority in that space, to take up that space in that way. And I found that we would play games or we would, we went skating, like we did yeah. all sorts of stuff. It's just like boyhood kind of stuff, to be honest. But like, 
then there would be these very organic conversations that would come out. And it would be because those people had decided this is actually, I feel safe mm -hmm. and it's not like there's pressure to talk about this, but I don't have to even explain myself, do the preamble. I can get right into yeah. whatever it is and we can share. And I saw that happening and I was like, you don't need to say that it's a support space to get that kind of support. Like mm. it can happen quite naturally. And that's something that was really cool about like having that space. It's like a new thing. Yeah. Would you say that events like Transdom and Gal Pals do similar things? Yeah. So Gal Pals came from wanting to have a, a freshers night for queer women, yeah. <laughs> essentially um, in London. So that's where we did the first one. And since then, it was just, it's just having a space that is just fun and you can just let go. That's it. Like all I ever try to do when I put on nights or when I play is just facilitate a space where people can just have a good time. Mm. And it's like very unpretentious. I feel like it's not about what you're wearing. It's not about who you're there with. A lot of people come by themselves and have mm. the best time. Yeah. Oh, I'm nodding loads because I'm like, I remember those nights coming out when we met each other back in Brighton and Girl Pals started and I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is so needed. And yeah, it's just really great to to see that kind of evolve yep. today. I don't know how, how you've done it, but you do that so well. Like I know so many friends <laughs> who, who, you know, will go by themselves and they'll have a great time and they know they're safe there. Mm. And I know, like I was trying to ask myself, like, how do you build community space? And I don't know what the kind of recipe is, but there are certain things that you do. Like there's a culture you've created and it's like this ethos. Like I know you have like also like an agreement, not, not I wouldn't say yeah. rules. Yeah, we've got policies. Yes. Yeah. And we have um, support as well from like official welfare people who are very like well trained in that now. That's so, amazing. Yeah. It came about quite organically, but it's those things that you recognize your audience or you know your community is saying we need this so it's like well let's try this we've never been in a club that does this but why not yeah. and then that just takes off and more and more people use that organization now as well so you you know where you can go and get the same kind of energy So I wanted to ask you, how do you connect to your communities outside of your like day-to-day -day work? This is such a good question. And for me, it's got that echo of like, how do you take care of yourself? Like <laughs> alongside doing, you know, creating these spaces and leading these spaces and holding these spaces for, for vulnerable people, for other people. It's a really good question. And I wish I had asked myself this question sooner in life. But um, when I was younger, I thought that having this space like Q-Tipoc Brighton group, Transpride Brighton, having these spaces would be my way of connecting with the community. And, and it is to an extent, but there's also an element of still supporting or looking after people there and, and being responsible for it. And actually Transpride Brighton isn't, it was, it was never the experience that my friends had. Mm. Um, it, not in any negative way. It was just a different experience because I'm like overseeing a whole event and you probably feel the same way when you're at your nights and your events as well. So I started to realize, okay, if I want to have that connection and feel that same pride or have that joy or being able to dance and not have to run to the next thing, I'm going to have to really try and um, make an effort to make that happen for myself and, and care about myself as well and put that first. So back to the question, which I'm obviously avoiding answering. Um, <laughs> I think it does come in really small pockets of people who 
actually a lot of people who are community organizers, people who are other trans youth workers, because there's a shorthand which you just skip the life is tough and this is why it's just like, oh yeah, we're here because we need to be here for each other. You mentioned trans pride and it would be really cool to hear how that came about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think it was 2012 when the conversations first started. And actually, again, that was when I was with just a few trusted people, community organizers, leaders in like the local council. And we were just having that moment of just like, oh my God, this is hard. Brighton Pride was coming up or it had just happened actually. And I think that's why we were like, why aren't trans people included here? Why aren't we seen? Why aren't we, why aren't we safe here? This Pride event isn't for us. And then that conversation, like it, it was just like a flippant comment of like, well, why don't we have our own Pride? What is stopping us from having our own March? And then we kind of just like thought about it over like our little lattes um, sitting in a cafe opposite St. Peter's Church. And I don't know, but suddenly the conversation just started to move mm. into why not? Like, wh why why can't we do this actually? Um, and because of the positions that we were all in, we were all very lucky in the sense that we had connections to other community members. And I think that's what I really, when I think about community as well, it's like, it's not a single thing. You know, it's always these little bridges and and kind of networks and connections to other communities. Mm. And because of that, it just was able to happen really quickly, really easily, like funding, applications, licensing, um, security, like it was, it was beautiful. And I think that really showed me that actually there's so many people who want to make this happen, not just trans people, but the people who love trans people, cis people, allies, however you want to call them, mm. everyone wants to make this happen. And it was from that kind of desperation of like, we need to be seen, I need to be seen. Yeah, I'm smiling because like, I just can't believe how I underestimated how big an impact it would have. Like, I was like, oh, it'll be like 10 or 20 people just walking up West Street with like seagulls and maybe pooping on our shoulders. <laughs> but actually it was like, the people who came were in the hundreds and now it's like in the thousands, like 10 years has it been? 10 years. And it's been wonderful to step back and watch it grow and watch it evolve and hear how it's had an impact on other people's lives and yeah. influence other communities and other other people, like single individuals in other parts of the country to be like, oh yeah, like let's just do that. Yeah. Why why not? Yeah. Yeah. It's the real hub of trans prides across like the UK and I still want to say the largest one in Europe. I mean, I'll take it. I mean, I'll do, I'm not there anymore, but I'll still take it. It's, it's massive. Yeah. It only started because of those seeds that you all planted, like in that coffee shop, you know? Yeah. And I think you even mentioning the ease of organizing it. I think, I mean, obviously there's that's alongside, it must have been difficult too, but, but when all of those parts come together, it's because I just feel like there's just a, a synthesis of things at the right time right place, right time. It was meant to happen. Yeah. And that's why it's also continued and it's so successful and it's grown. Things grow when they're needed, you know? Mm. And I have so many of my favorite memories in Brighton are associated with trans pride. It's my favorite pride of all prides every year. I do many prides now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's always my favorite. I feel like at trans pride Brighton, all of the right people are there for the right reason mm. because either they are queer or trans and they support and love queer and trans people and seeing that number grow every year is extremely heartening in these times seeing so many families seeing the support from these families uh seeing just about every 
person under the sun that you ever know <laughs> bumping into all of the you know skeletons in the closet mm. <laughs> that's always fun <laughs> genuinely yeah. genuinely is you you always just see someone it's just really nice to, to feel like you're in a big group yeah in a place like brighton that is small but it feels big when you you feel alone yes and it feels less like that when the town is just full of us yeah. <laughs> and that's just every every year every year we have that weekend is just a really brilliant time so. yeah that's it it's like oh wow like we're really not alone and like when this event is over all these trans people are going to go back to across the uk even across europe and yeah. they're still going to be there yeah. like this is my community yeah last year was my favorite one just because i had just had top surgery so I just wasn't wearing a shirt the whole day, obviously. Yes. <laughs> but it was at the end of the park event, everybody moved away from Brunswick down onto the beach and it just became a queer and trans nude beach. And I was just <laughs> like, I was living. It was the best thing I've ever seen. Oh. I looked around and I was like, why can it not always be like yeah. this? It was incredible. Like everyone was having the best time. It was really hard to tear myself away from that to go and like DJ because I was like I have to go and because I've started doing the after parties that's right tell me more about you being a DJ and being in that space where yeah you're holding this beautiful safe space for people of like all different identities and backgrounds just coming together and having fun and what does music mean in that space mm. there's something I think about music mm, almost like I don't want to call it activism but I do think there is a power in creating a space where people can let go. I think things feel hard a lot of the time, especially as marginalized people. There's something that's just really liberating about dancing with your friends. It's something that actually came up during the pandemic, I think. Really, there was a real feeling of loss there around being able to be part of those spaces as a queer person that none of my straight friends understood they'd either stopped going to clubs already, <laughs> just like naturally grown out of it. None of them went to online club nights. And I think that was a huge queer experience of yeah. like, just logging up, cool, I'm going to queer house party. Cool, I'm going to go to like, we did gal pals at one point every Saturday night. In <laughs> yeah, I living room. Room. <laughs> they were, th It wasn't just like, it wasn't just a Zoom call though. It was like the works. It was incredible that experience that you, yeah, you, you like turned our living rooms and bedrooms into that same space. Because we needed that still. We still needed to tap into the music, the like, the community too, because there would be people like flirting. We'd have the breakout rooms. We call it the smoking area. So they'd go in there. <laughs> we'd send people there and then they'd have little chats and they'd come back. And when we came back into the club, so many people had never been in a nightclub. That was their first night out. They were like, I went to every Zoom. I've come from Cornwall. Wow. I'm 18. This is the first time I could, having the, I was honestly, it's those moments. It's when you realize oh, this is your first time in a space like this with other people like you. This is really powerful. This is really meaningful. This is touching you in a way that doesn't resonate with anyone else who isn't from those groups, mm -hmm. who isn't going to get that. So that's what it feels like. It just is like, why would I want to play anywhere else? Yeah. <laughs> what would you say are the joys of finding your community? What was it like finding communities for the first time that felt like they were yours? 
I'm trying to think of like when I first realized I was part of a community, mm. I guess, because I think, you know, I was thinking on the way here and I was like, oh, community. Well, surely that's just like us based on our identities or sexualities or gender expressions. But that would be just a group or a population. And actually, that's not what community is. So what is it that makes it different? And maybe it is about the joy that we find with each other and the connection and the the shared experiences, but sometimes also the differences, actually. Mm. When I was thinking about this, that's only when I realized I was part of a community then. So I really started like thinking, hold up, when did I first really feel like I belong? Yes, that is the question. That's the question. Yeah. And that's, I can pin that to joining that LGBT society in my first week at uni and then standing for the black students representative on that committee. I had a responsibility. I had someone to be every week, essentially. And we formed a really tight bond with the people who were there. And I felt like part of something. Yeah. It's really important as a as a person mm, <laughs> to feel to feel belonging in that way. Yeah. I remember being part of the Brighton Feminist Collective, but I think I don't know, I think I had a tough time in Brighton because I I think when I found a place in a community like the Brighton Feminist Collective or LGBTQ society, I think I very quickly realized the differences between our experiences here is actually too great. Being a person of color, being trans, being Muslim, like these things actually felt like they were growing rifts in that community as opposed to like building a connection. I can think of one time actually that I felt like I belonged and it was when I met another queer South Asian Muslim person. We're really good friends now. And I think that's when I realized, oh, I need to be part of this community. I need to find this this community and immerse myself into it. So that's what I did. And, and it, I think it's hard for me to answer because my community is my 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 friends yeah. around me, like the people around me. Yeah. And actually um, it's kind of slowly curated over the years that these are the people who reflect me and understand me and empower me as well. Mm. For me, community feels... I don't like the word community as a geographer. <laughs> I prefer um, communities. Yeah. So it's just recognizing the way that we interact with spaces and groups and people over time. It's amorphous. It's messy. It's transient. It just kind of shifts and changes. Um, and we are not a monolith. Yeah, we, we're not. A, we're not a trans community. We're trans communities. Absolutely, because there are so many different groups within that, and there are Venn diagrams of other groups. Even when you were mentioning building Trans Pride Brighton, all of the different kind of communities the people were, were involved in, it's the same thing. It wasn't just the trans community; it was communities. How do you think we can best support each other as humans? within our communities? I get this question a lot, especially when I, when I am doing public speaking and talking about like the experiences of, of being a trans person of color and being a queer Muslim. And I realized after a while that this is a question I'm going to get. Mm. I will answer the question. Yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs> Take your time. But I will ask you to read my book first. No, um, I, um, I'll just tell you about this because I think it's, it is also what we can do, I think, to, to support each other is to, to read about how and to listen to trans people of color and trans people with marginalized voices, what we're saying and, and what we need. So I wrote this book called Supporting Trans People of Color, How to Make Your Practice Inclusive. And for me, it is, it is a guide on doing just that and doing that 
in whatever community you're you're a part of and whatever role you play in that community you know it's I wanted it to be a book that's for community organizers to teachers to therapists to uh, mental health workers and healthcare workers because if you're working with people then you're going to be working with us in some way um, you're going to be reaching our lives and this is why I think it is also such a hard question to answer because how can we support other people? I think it's also a question about us. Like it's very much about who we are, like who am I? What experiences have I had that make me able to support other people or not? Like what are my biases? What are my blocks to being empathic towards someone? What is my privilege? And and do I understand all of that and how that impacts other people? And what do I need as well? Like to take care of myself whilst I'm doing all this, where can I draw resources and energy, time and money from other people around me. So it's not just about me. So that's where the book starts. And there are some really great examples of, of inclusion work happening in, in our communities and for our communities. But yeah, I think, what was the question? How do we, how do we know? I mean, you (laughs) kind of like nailed it there, to be honest, because it's just, how do we support each other? Yeah. We are not taught support so we need resources we also need patience we need to recognize even coming from the position of facilitator or leading sometimes that puts you in a position where people are like they know exactly what's going on they know what to do and it's just remembering everyone is human Mm. and having that compassion and boundaries as well being able to know your own boundaries and communicate that so that you can give without depleting yourself because I think that's something that happens a lot Mm. um, from my own experience Mm. (laughs) just with like burnout because you care a lot and you pour a lot into those spaces Um, you just have to make sure that you do it in a way that is balanced that's checking in with yourself and and also you ask for help so it's like things are sustainable because you want things to continue right so yeah I think that's really great that you'll bring up boundaries and because I feel like sometimes we feel like we have to give everything into a community or an event. How do you look after yourself and what are those boundaries do you have to ensure that you can keep going? Yes, um, I feel like I've come to that answer very late <laughs> in the game. But yeah, personally, for me, it's therapy. Mm. It's putting in lots of time for intentional interventions myself. So I might have a really busy week but make sure that I've planned some kind of restorative thing at the end. That might be yoga. It might be a sauna. It Mm. might be massage. I have therapy regularly once a week. So that's always my anchor of checking in. How do I feel? Mm. Good, Mm. bad, (laughs) mid. (laughs) Um, I wasn't taking time to do those things for myself in the past. Um, And It's just making sure that you do that because no one else is going to do that. Mm. And just the same way that you show up for other people and you want to make sure that you can support other people, you need to give yourself that care, that compassion and like sign a contract with yourself almost that I'm going to show up for myself in the same way I would anyone else. That's how I practice being boundaried now. And it's really working. It feels really good. Yes. (laughs) So it means I feel I can give more again 
which is always what I want to do yeah. anyway. So win-win. I love that about looking after yourself and self-care is like you immediately know the results and you feel the results. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh yeah. Yeah. It's just so obvious. Mm. <laughs> but um, it's really hard. There's something about showing up for yourself or choosing yourself that feels selfish sometimes. It's like, oh, I should do this. My therapist always says, eliminate the shoulds. I have a background in therapy and like... I, I hate my therapist for saying it and I hate that I say it to other people as well. Yeah. I'm like, should, should. Who is this should? Where, should? where does should come from? <laughs> it's like, oh. Who created should? Yeah. I, yeah. Should, <laughs> should is the enemy. <laughs> should is my enemy. Yeah, we all should really say that. One of the places which I really recommend people check out um, is the organization I work for called Gendered Intelligence. We have an online youth service. We have groups in Leeds. We have groups in London. And I think we're the first and only youth service in the UK for trans youth of color as well. We have trans youth workers of color. Our groups are just for trans youth of color as well. And we actually, I just recently came back from running our second annual residential for trans youth of color, which was like, oh, just such a, such a beautiful and uplifting space. Yeah. So we have lots of different types of groups and support. We even have a, a nature group that, that meets online. So it's like that also started over lockdown, you know, knowing that we need to feel a connection with nature and and slow down as well so that's just really like continued so it's really it's really great i definitely recommend checking them out the other thing i will say is also curate your own space it like digitally as well like that's like your instagram feed or or whatever social media feed is also a space that yes. you can access and like you can invite the community members you want in there like you can choose who to follow who to unfollow you yes. know who you want to who you want to see, who you want to mute. And mm. I think that is still a resource. I don't want to, I don't want to neglect that as such an important resource, especially for people, you know, a, a trans youth who are isolated and can't go to groups mm. for whatever reason. That's, uh, I think that's something I, I use myself, like my, my Instagram feed is sacred. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is such a good point about digital and like virtual space It is real. So you yes. can, choose you can opt in and opt out you can curate it it has an impact on your psyche on how you feel you absorb all of that stuff you don't just like leave it on your phone mm. <laughs> so definitely you have control yes that's you have power so yeah you can curate those spaces i like telling people to just start things i know it's not that easy <laughs> all the time <laughs> um, but yeah i feel like where I live now in Brighton, there's a, so much stuff that's popping up and it's just great because I just remember it not feeling so bountiful. I've been really enjoying going to trans sober events. They're amazing. The last one I went to, you reminded me when you mentioned the nature space because we did a, uh, a walk through Stanmer Park that ended in sauna, a sound bath, yoga. Wow. There were horses frolicking rolling around with each other. I was sat there like, what is this? And it was one of those ones that I'd done as an intervention after a very busy week. So it was a complete opposite to what my week felt like. And then I found myself in this field and I was like, this is the best way I could have spent this day before I move into the next week. So 
finding those spaces that feel like they're edifying you, you know, giving back, filling you up. They're out there mm. and they're free, mm. which is like even more important right now, you know, like what can you do that isn't going to break the bank? So, yeah. And also isn't just centered around dancing or drinking. Cause I mean, that's sort of my job, but also <laughs> yeah. it doesn't have to be, it's not everyone's bag. So there's yeah. uh, there's plenty out there, book clubs, mm. community spaces, the London LGBTQ community center yes. has so many events. There's just plenty out there and they do online things as well. The Claire project runs so many socials in person and online across Sussex. Yeah, it's just, mm. it's bountiful. So there's loads, loads yeah. to get involved with. I think your advice about like, if you're looking for a type of support or, or, or a group, start it yourself. Like that's been, that's really been heard. I think that's why we're seeing such a rise of all these different kinds of events and really like really niche things. So as well. niche. I love it. <laughs> I'm like, it exists for a reason. Someone is going to be happy that you did it because they'll be like, I love that thing. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're so right. Yeah. I didn't realize I wanted to be around trans people of color doing this very specific baking but, <laughs> I, but don't I do <laughs> yeah, yeah there's probably baking groups out there yeah i've mm. seen i saw um like an emo night specifically for queer people of color that's just started and i'm oh, like yes incredible oh my god it was so good um what's it called i'm not okay yes. or something oh yeah. my god it was too good brilliant yeah so so good but it's like yeah i didn't realize i needed it until i went and i'm like yeah no i really wanted to my my young like emo 15 year old self with the evanescence and linkin park posters on my vision really needed this living yeah. Yeah, yeah no sava it has been such a pleasure just chatting with you and just like feels like we just like caught up totally and, yeah yeah this feels like a really rare moment to just like slow down and reflect on like okay so what have we been doing for the last 10 years? Literally, literally that. <laughs> and it's one of those things as well. You get to do it alongside. You have, you know, contemporaries, people who you see and you grow with. And I love that. And we're part of a network of people like that. So thank you so much. No, for thank you so much. Having a lovely chat. Appreciate it. For resources about the issues discussed, and to see video content from all episodes of the Anthems Talks series, visit the episode description. Anthems Talks was executive produced by B. Duncan, with production from Talia Augustidis and Lucy Carr, and sound engineered by Ben Williams. Video production from Thunder Video, and video editing by Eleanor Bamba. This is a Broccoli production.